All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation that could be business, it could be personal, that's going to require you to create change. We all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us aren't just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm getting chills right now for this guest. Um, This dude is a orator of storytelling. He's a master of storytelling. He happens to be a strategist in it. uh, He's also a voice and coach for the Sales Rebellion. Uh, He is a podcast host for the Four Stories uh, Strategy Podcast and published author of Earn Your Story. He also is a director of strategic sales of Insight at the Insight Leadership Group. Super sharp sales dude from Halen from Frisco, Texas. Please welcome none other than Chris Watson to the podcast. What's up? What's What's up, up, man? Thanks so much for having me on, man. Man, thank you, Chris, for jumping on. I was just telling you before this thing, man, um, those of you that don't know Chris, he is just on point with his own story and just kind of helping others tell theirs. And we're going to get into uh, really how you... Uh, you know, can really connect with others through stories. How do stories connect us? And we'll, we'll learn a, bit, a little bit about Chris, but by the end, you're going to really, um, you know, look into yourself and um, really think about how you're telling it and, and what you want to be telling is the most important thing. So thank you for coming on, Chris. I just get so high. I was watching a video of you get, uh, on this and maybe we'll put a link in the show notes to it of the video of you just, just, you know, in flow, in just spitting, as they say, spitting fire about your passion for telling stories. So just thanks for coming on. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a privilege. I mean, I think what I love about what you're doing is the fact that, and, and this is part of my story, is that everybody has a superpower inside them. And what they have to learn is, when do I deploy it? And more importantly, two steps before that, well, what is it? And how can I reflect on what is it? And I think the key is, is, is a lot of people are, they're doubting themselves and the story they're telling themselves is so negative because they actually have something inside them that they've probably been doing innately for so long. And whether it's because of environment, whether it's because they were trained that way, whether it's because of mom and dad or grandpa and grandma or the schooling or the first job or whatever it is, and they don't even understand that what they have right there in their hands, the thing that they're doing can actually impact millions. The problem is, is that they just assume, oh, well, everyone does that. And I'm here to tell you that's not the case. And that really is, that's really kind of the start of this is, is that when I meet with people, I always ask them, like, what's the one thing you do that you think nobody else does? I don't know. What do you mean? Tell me where you were raised. Oh, I was raised here. Mom single, parents married. And you just kind of go through some of these real like kind of high level questions till you get to a point you're like, man, you're a champion. You're a thriver, not a survivor. Like you have thrived through so And you kind of take them through that and then they recognize, whoa, I have a lot more to be excited about for what my future story is going to be. I love it. Before my first question, I just want to like respond to kind of what you just said there. So like my whole reason for starting this is like, I really truly believe that that's why I had the word stories in it. I I thought of a lot of different names of this, but selling human, I I do believe that it's all inside of us. Any any person being good at sales uh, just by like human skills, like just seeing people like, you know, really being curious, having empathy, being generous, caring about people, having it be about more than just your agenda, but then What makes us so unique is we all have these crazy stories of our lives and they're so unique and people are afraid of telling them or that they're just not going to be important enough to tell. And um, in my sales career, anytime I've ever gotten somebody to start opening up, as they say, and telling, and people love to talk about like when you really connect, people talk about themselves and it's not difficult. Some, it's difficult for some, but I, when you really break it down, we'll talk about how to do it today. But when you do it, you know, people like it's reciprocal, 
it, it gets reciprocated. It just is like a rolling hill. You just, you know, you only give a little bit, then someone gives more and then you relate. And then it just, it, it just compounds on itself before long. You're like, I feel like I've known you my whole life and I've known you, I've known you Chris for just, you know, a few weeks. And I, I feel like I know a lot about you, but I'm going to, we're going to learn a lot more today. So awesome. All right. So my first question, um, you're going to run with this. I know it. Um, what is the story they're going to tell about Chris Watson when it's all over? Hopefully a long, long time from now. Yeah. You know, the irony, the irony, the irony of this is, is that, you know, yesterday, uh, somebody, somebody passed away that apparently was really influential in a lot of people's lives. Right. And I didn't know Barbara. Um, I've read a few things about her since. So last night I sent out a video to all the different coaches in the sales rebellion. And the video was exactly that, that how are we going to honor those before us Mm. with the story that's going to be told about us when we're gone. And so I guess like when I think about it, and like the story that I want, first and foremost, I have to break it down according to what the story is going to be told by specific people. See, it's not this big story. I could tell you, yeah, I want to, you know, I want everyone to be as impacted as possible and I want them to feel so good about it, but it's more than that. And this goes back to like the intentionality. It's why I wrote the book, Earn Your Story. And it really should have been called, like I regret it, it should have been called Earn Your Stories. Because let me, let me break it down for you. So, we have to be so yet. intentional that the story that I want my wife to tell, let me tell you that. I want my wife to tell okay. the story of, of a man that was f- ferociously kind and loving and intentional and available. And then I want her to tell about a man that could be a leader and could be a warrior and could fight when necessary. A man that would stand up for Christianity and for God, as well as stand up for what was right. And then I want my son to tell a story that, you know what, my dad gave me, gave me permission to succeed and permission to fail. And in both of those, he loved me vigorously, regardless of what that outcome was. And so that is what has made me who I am today. That's what I want my son to say. And then I want people like you that who knows how long we'll be on this journey together. We might walk on a, a long road, a short road, a long season, a short season, whatever it might be. I want those people. It's really quite simple. It's really quite simple. And it, it, you can dive deep into it if we want to. But I think it's just this. They let me see that my future story was bigger than what I had ever thought it was going to be previous to meeting them. That's it. I want, I want people to understand that like this, this false word of potential is weak because no one knows your potential, only you. And really, if you think about it, potential is a myth because there is no ceiling to potential. It's whatever you desire that you want to be. And then not only that, but we really truly base potential and credibility on other people's opinion. Well, if I have my own definition of what success is, Right. For some people, they say might say, well, I want my son to go to Ivy League and get an MBA and run a multi-billion dollar company. And that's the story that I want my son to have. Well, are either one of our stories wrong or right or incomplete? No, it's not. And so I think for for those people that, you know, we walk on a road for a short amount of time. And then the last group, the last group I would say is my extended family. Man, I. I, uh, I was the first person in my family to graduate college, in all of my family. Uh, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, wow. cousins, great-grandparents. I was the first person in that entire wow. lineage of people. Wow. And this leads me to what I said earlier. I didn't know it was a big deal. You're saying, wow? I didn't even know. Why? Because that's the expectation I held myself to. So that was the story that I held myself to. So it no longer was a Wow. Because that was the expectation. And that's why I believe people need to have a future story that holds them to a high expectation of the actions that they're going to take. Because if I work backwards and I say, what story do you want to have when you're 75? Or what story do you want to have when you pass away? Well, now I'm much more intentional about my relationships today. I'm much more intentional about my time today. I'm much more intentional about how I live my life today and the careers I choose. I'm much more intentional how I execute in my sales job. But I want my extended family, man, like – 
and I won't be around for this unless there's some cool way that like you're in heaven and like they peel the, the clouds back and you get to look down and hear what they're talking about. But I don't think I need that at that point. But I want them, <laughs> I want people to say, man, like, man, great grandpa, Chris, great, great grandpa, Chris. Did you know he published these books? Did you know he spoke this language? Who knew that the story of our lives was going to be right? And it's got to be carried in. Like you got to be so intentional with your sons and your daughters and your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents and that it gets passed down that those stories get pulled into. Right. So I don't know if that's a complete answer for you, but I think it's segmented. I think I can't help but live an intentional life with all of these different relationships. And I've got four friends, uh, three of them that I've known um, since I was three years old. And we have done everything. We've broken world records. Uh, we've go, gone to Groundhog's Day in multiple countries. We've done crazy stuff, man. Um, but the intentionality level with those friends, like I want them to tell their sons, you, you know, I hope you have a friend like Chris Watson. <laughs> oh, I'm pausing just because I'm, I'm bringing it, I'm taking it all in. I mean, there's so many things I could go on. I'm going to pull on one thing you said about potential because I, I've never heard it called a myth or an illusion, but like, I think I understand why people want to chase it so much. Cause we want to, I mean, man, it's a dangerous word, man. I mean, who, I don't think we could even know what our, we, who, who, how could we even know what that is? It's infinite. You know, it's in it, like, I could look at you and be like, Chris Watson could be an Olympic swimmer. I don't know. You know, who, who knows? Maybe. If, if you really want it to be, I could be an NBA player. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, maybe. I don't know if I was born with the talent or not, but like if, you know what I'm saying? Like it's infinite. And, you know, I, I, I always, yeah, it's, it's, I think if we just live with that intention, like we get to decide what it is. And, and then some of that, a lot of that is decided with our experiences, with our loved ones, the people we looked up to in our lives, the people, our friends, you know, all of those things influence like our vision of what we think we can do. And we should always like want more for ourselves. We should always want to, you know, like not like waste our potential on this earth. And right. So I well, think and, always... and take one step further. Like, I don't want to be an Olympic swimmer. Yeah. So even if that's my, even if that potentially could be an avenue I take, I think part of potential is about intentionality. Well, what yeah. do I really want? You know, yeah. like, um, I had an opportunity, you know, about two weeks before I went ahead and went to college and got my whatever degree administration I don't even know what it is something crappy that never gets used business administration <laughs> MBA yeah um before I did that uh I was being pushed to go be a pastor right to go and preach wow and I chose not to do that and so people were like whoa why wouldn't you want to do that and you this and you that and like you know they went about and I just explained to them like I don't think you understand but like there's a massive level of intentionality that like I don't want to be in the church I want to be pulling people in the church, you know, not to get too religious on your podcast, but the idea is there was an intentionality of what I wanted to do Yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's not how I saw myself was like, you know, being in the, you know, ivory castle or whatever, say you, right. So, so to your point, yeah, like there's some genetics involved. Could I be an Olympic swimmer? Like, I don't want to take my shirt off because your, your people will hate it and you'll throw up. But, but what my point is, is like, I know what Michael Phelps went through. I've read some books. I don't want that life. Right. So to your point, potential is in the eye of intentionality. Hmm. Not in the eye of the beholder, in the eye of intentionality. Yeah, I like that line. Um, so uh, when you, like, just, I, I just feel like, I mean, you know, passion, when you talk, like, kind of the, the story, kind of, I, I want to, like, talk about how, just with others, like, how, how did that frame, how did you really come to, really believe and, and see that stories mattered and they connected us to each other in a way that made us see ourselves more clearly and also others um, just more, I don't know, I guess you could say just it connected us more to others. Was there something that happened in your life? Was there some story that really showed that to you? So let me, so let, let's, um, let's unpack this. I think it'd be good to, for people to understand. So okay. <clears throat> 
let me put it to you like this. Have you ever, ever lost an, you've lost somebody in your life. We had that conversation before, yeah, right? So you've lost somebody recently. Talk to about it. Right. Recently, my, fa- my father. And it's- right. So, and I lost my dad, you know, 11 years ago. So most of the time when someone passes away, this is, this is kind of a wild thing. And, but it's a very good metaphor for storytelling. When someone passes away for some reason, it's like they become like immortalized. Like they like what, like anything they ever did negative or bad in their life, Throw no one out. ever talks about that, right? They highlight all these great, yep. man, my dad was, my mom, grandpa was. like, And it's like all of a sudden they're like the greatest patriarch you know, of the, of the family, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, hear yeah, me yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't the story that was told in the present moment when you were nine and your dad was rude, right? Mm-hmm. Or your dad wouldn't let you go to some function with people, right? Or like, you know, grandpa told somebody off or whatever it was like so keep in mind that like sometimes the tough part with stories is the story I told about a situation about something that happened in my life today could be the exact same story 20 years ago but I told it in a different way so sometimes we have this like present moment bias of stories so the first thing I would tell if you're out there you know and listening you're thinking about your life story Right. Let's say it's a tragic life story. Let's say you had a really, really rough upbringing and just a tough life. Um, and, you know, and I remember being poor. Like my first Christmas, we got coats from the church. There was no Christmas. I remember living on spam and macaroni and cheese. And I don't know, people are like probably listening to like boohoo. I know there's worse. Don't get me wrong. But that's my point about stories is that sometimes it's through the lens of which you live in. But let me tell you, I didn't know I was poor when I was poor. Because that was life. You see what I mean? We got spam today uh, and not just macaroni? Right, exactly. Hell yeah. You see what I mean? So I think for for people out there listening, you have to take yourself back into the way you told the story then and how you tell it now and see what what that difference is. What's the middle? Where was the growth? Where was the development? How do I perceive that now? That's the first piece of storytelling. And here's why I tell you that. Because that's how you connect with people. That's how you understand other people's journeys. Because like you just said, oh, we get spam instead of macaroni and cheese. Well, then now I would turn around with you if I had never met you and be like, dude, you grew up poor too? Yeah, I did, man. Really, man. Tell me about it. And then we trade war stories of poorness. And now we've already connected. And then hopefully the deal is, is that like, see, remember, you said the word reciprocation earlier on. Well, that's what stories do. Stories allow you to see if this person is going to reciprocate vulnerability. And if they don't reciprocate vulnerability, well, then you put yourself out there in a vulnerable way that maybe the next time in an urgent situation, they'll reach out to you. Or, and, and like we're talking both business and personal and all those kind of things, right? Because let's just say today was the last day you and I ever spoke. But then let's say in five years, something came up with like storytelling. You had to go on a stage and talk about stories. You might be like, who was that one guy that he said he was the master storyteller that I was like, no, you're not. I am. And he talked about, and you might be like, I'm going to go reach out to him. Now you would have never reached out to me if you and I didn't have an honest, vulnerable conversation about stories. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. And I, I think it starts when, yeah, you, um, and I don't know if I can put my finger on, maybe you can, but like, like vulnerability, like how to, to trigger that in people is so tough sometimes. And I don't know, like, it's like a, people call it a vibe, man. I get a vibe from you, Chris. So like, I, I, I tell you all about my dad, you know, I, I you know, I, th- th- this is a heavy story gang. Like, you know, those that know me, like my father passed away in March of, of camp of leukemia and you know, I'm, I'm processing it. And I never met Chris forever, but why did I tell him? I, I have, I, I don't, I can't explain it myself other than the fact that he, you know, kind of put that framework together about like, what's the story go back and what's the, what did you tell yourself back then and now and the growth? And so I'm trying to like, so then I'm like processing my brain. I'm trying to like, how did I grow? What did that, that person teach me? You know, because, yeah, like my dad is a, like the, the best person I've ever known. Um, you know, I love my I love you, mom. I love you, sis, my wife. Sure, sure. Come on, I, I love you. I love you all if you're listening. 
but like, you know, right now for me, I mean, it's just, but he wasn't perfect. He was imperfect in so many ways. He was like, had this, you know, a, a, like quirky, mean, you know, uh, crazy <laughs> sure. streak about him. But I, I told you that I don't know why, maybe you can tell me why, but I, I can only define it for me. For me is that you help me, you know, look into it and like, what do those things mean? And so like, I'm asking myself questions. And then, like you said, you know, you'd be like, oh, I lost my dad when I was 44. Tell me more about that. And then like, you tell, like, I, t I didn't tell you everything about my dad the first time we talked, but then I tell you a little bit and then a little bit, and then it just kind of, you know, opens us up to shared val shared values, not just experiences, like values. And that's what stories I think we, we can talk about how you, you know, it's founded yourself in your sales walk, but that's how it is for me. How does it, how do you define? Yeah. So why I'm a picture. Open up? Why yeah, yeah. So I'm a up? picture guy, right? Like, so like I think about pictures. Okay. So think about it like this, that like okay. when you walk. So, okay. So for instance, the only trust that you and I had built before we had that conversation was that like, I knew people that you knew and you had seen some of my posts and I'd see some of your posts, mm -hmm. right? Like I had no idea that at that time you were out of a job. I still thought you thought, I mean, you remember I called, Hey, how's it working for this guy? You're like, Oh, I don't work there anymore. Right. <laughs> so like not to be like desperate on LinkedIn. Correct. Right, right. And I get that. And I get that, you know, but my, my point is, is that like, you have to try and build trust in a quick amount of minutes, seconds. And so the picture I always think about is that when I'm interacting with somebody, they already have their shield up. Think about a superhero and a shield, right? They already have a shield up because they, don't trust you. They don't know that they want to reciprocate. <laughs> they don't know who the hell you are. Right. And so the only way to penetrate a shield is by saying, listen, I don't have any weapons that are going to hurt you. Mm. Right. Because that's when someone lowers their shield. Oh, this person's not trying to hurt me. Even, and here's the truth. Even if maybe the shield is held up because they don't want to hear about your emotions because they're not ready to discuss their own and that's okay. But see, like I go into every opportunity as thinking my vulnerability is actually what makes me most powerful, not the weakest. Because if I can discuss with you that after my dad died, my aunt died of a meth overdose and there was no such thing as a funeral. Why? Because she didn't impact anybody's lives, not even her own kids. Or tell you like, hey, what happens when the city calls and says, hey, by the way, we have your aunt. And it costs you $75 if you want to cremate and have the ashes, or we can just dispose of her as if she's a missing person. Like, think about that for a moment. No so like, way, like, right. Like, like, so for instance, when you think about that like dynamic of, of what went on in my heart and in my life of losing my dad and losing my aunt and the different ways we lost them. And at my dad's funeral, his janitor of the published of the newspaper he was a publisher of, and then also the wealthiest person in the town, the, the town I grew up in, were both in the same room, probably never again, probably never up until that point. And now you have the stark difference of standing room only for my dad and no one shows up for my aunt. Like, dude, we're talking about in that moment of like, whoa, that is some massive separation <laughs> of these two people's lives. Now, here's the key. I can talk to you about the emotion that I felt in both of them. And I can talk about it to a degree that now my vulnerability becomes powerful because if you're the one in the room that could be the most vulnerable, you're the most powerful in the room because you don't have any emotions that you haven't gone through. You haven't gone any, there hasn't been any stories in your life you haven't gone through. I can tell you why I failed every time. I can tell you why I succeeded every time. I can tell you why my wife married me. I can tell you why we have our four-year-old son and who he is and why he misbehaves and why he doesn't misbehave. And I can tell you why I failed at some Fortune 500 companies. I succeeded at Fortune 500 companies. I can tell you why I quit my job at a Fortune 500 company to go be a high school teacher and coach. And tons of people look down on me. I can't believe you're doing that. And then I can tell you about coaching and becoming the number one team in the nation and everyone's saying, you're going to kill it. And then I'm going to tell you about when I quit my coaching job the very next year after being the number one team in the nation to go back into an entry-level sales position where a 27-year-old great guy is now my manager. And I'm 37 and people are like, dude, what are you doing entry level? Why aren't you, you don't get it. But see, I can tell you all of that because vulnerability is powerful. And as I share that, now people start lowering that shield oh and they say, yeah. whoa, you've been through that? Like, that's crazy, man. I don't know how you did that. Well, let me tell you how I did that. Da, 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 da. And then as you start sharing a little bit about your life, I then ask questions like I did to you, dude, what was like the the coolest lesson your dad taught you. And you're like, oh man, I never really thought about that. Well, 
as I have, as I make you reflect and go deeper into your heart, now there's like this vulnerability that's happening with you. Two way. So now we're right. So now it's two way reciprocation of vulnerability, dude. Magic happens in that moment, and you don't forget that moment because here's what happens. I made you think about something that you want to think about, but didn't know you needed to think about. You might rewind that. And after you come up with the lesson that your dad taught, guess what you do? You now go teach other people about the lesson your dad taught. So now I've helped you impact other people's stories. Indirectly. I love it. I love whenever you say like, uh, you know, you might want to rewind that. We will for, for all of you. <laughs> maybe if you. If you need that, just go ahead and rewind right now on your, from your phone. But um, man, like I, I, Look, I, I just feel like, you know, it's, it's safety. You know, when we're safe, I mean, like you talk about safe spaces when you're in with a, you know, therapist. I mean, that's kind of, you know, you're, this is a safe space. But, you know, see, it's when, when, when you're, I don't know, when it, you feel comfortable with friends and people aren't judging you, like you've taken judgment out of the table and it's just two humans sharing human uh, emotions, then we all, yeah, it's just, we all connect really stronger over like just this, the shared things that like all of our lives are so different and unique. We're not, not, no one person will have the same problem. No one. No, right. No, and, and, no. and keep in mind, Alex, like, I don't care what anyone says, everybody in the world, whether you're an introvert, extrovert, or whatever vert you are, you are desiring community. Even if you've never experienced community, if you taste community, you want community. And so if I can have a moment where we create a semblance of community, now we have connection. And so I think like that's how I go into every situation of talking to anyone is like, I wonder what community would, would look like for this 50-year-old woman that had four kids that now starting her career over. And I think about it and I don't ever assume, I ask questions. That's the key to have people unpacking their stories is you ask you ask sensitive, but piercing, let's get to the point questions that then you see their body language and like, I'm comfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with that. Ooh. And then I stop them. If I tell there's like some squirming, hold on. Okay. Okay. I can tell you didn't like that. Let me just ask you this. And so like, I pull it back. Right. And I ask it like an easier question. Right. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, all we're really doing is we're disrupting the loop of their life. That's what we're doing. And when it comes to sales, I call it, what'd you say? It knocks them off, knocks them for a loop. Yeah, disrupts the loop, knocks them. Right, and when you disrupt the just, loop, now you're in a moment of vulnerability. And, you, and then now it's, it's Alex's decision of like, am I going to live in vulnerability right now with Chris for four minutes? Or like, am I running away from vulnerability? And that tells you something even in itself. You're, you're, you're making me think right now, Chris. I love this. I love these interviews. Um, I'm going to give you a story and I'm going to ask you um, what your go-tos are, are about this. All right. So I love what, you know, questions, um, you know, because it's tough for people to like be gentle, be vulnerable and like sometimes questions without being like, you know, trying to seem like, okay, you don't know me. Why are you asking me these, mm -hmm. these questions? So um, my dad was a teacher. I, I hate to say was, will always be a teacher because, you know, I think what you said about community, community can, can exist between one-to-one -one because one-to-one -one is all of those people that that other person knows that you will potentially influence with your conversation of what they've rem remembered from you. So what uh, a question, my, my dad, story about my dad. So he's in the hospital and he stayed for a month and a half, got out of the freaking hospital from the ICU. On, the, on his deathbed, people said he had a couple of days, got out of the freaking hospital. But you know what, what he always said, like he really loved is like the connection with nurses and he connected with every nurse that ever came. And a lot of them were from like other countries and he's lived all over Africa. And he asked him one simple question. You want to know what it is? Want to hear? I, yes. Yes. Where are you from originally? And they would, these nurses be, oh, I'm from uh, Sierra Leone. Oh, no kidding. I lived in Sierra Leone. And then no, 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 no joke. He goes, I mean, he's barely moves. He goes, how the body? What the fuck? What did you say? He can barely talk. How the body? And this nurse goes, oh my God. And I'm like, what? He, he knows Creole. He knows not only Creole, he knows like the Sierra Leone Creole version. Right, right, right. And how the body literally means, how are you? Like, how's the body? 
and they started talking in the language. And he could talk to people in all sorts of languages. And I'm not saying you need to know all sorts of languages, but knowing where someone's from and then they tell, tell stories, that's when, that was a great one for, I've, I've used it on a cold call recently and the person just opened up to me and it was, it was wild. Right, um, and I think what, what you're speaking to specifically on that is that your dad may not have asked the where are you from originally question if he didn't know he had the competence to back up that conversation. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, I'm not going to open a conversation with a cardiovascular surgeon about, you know, the aorta and my dad having, you know, a hole in his heart uh, at childbirth because I can't, I don't have a comp, I can't competently discuss that conversation. Right. Now that being said, I might say, man, I'm extremely thankful for people like you. Did you know my dad was the first open heart surgery in the state of Missouri, which is a true story. And then I let them go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, really? That's yeah. fascinating. Okay. Do you know of this? Like Do you know of this? Do you know? Listen, I don't, I don't know the medical stuff. You are the expert in the room when it comes to that. But I can tell you some stories about my dad after having heart surgery at 14, his second heart surgery of going and playing football two days uh, for two a days. Like, you see what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't connect with him on the competency level, but your dad could. And that's what yeah. he did with these nurses is that because remember, we're talking about community. You know what he did for them? He let them for just a split second have community with them, with him, because he could actually speak the language. He may have been able to talk about the culture and the food and the geography and like, aren't you so glad it's cooler here than it is there? And then she says in Creole, I'm actually cold most days, right? He's having community with her from her early childhood. And that's, she can't tap into that. And in addition, I don't even think he realized he, what he was doing and he wasn't doing it because he thought he, he didn't, I don't think he assumed that she was from a certain place. I think he just asked that because when people talk where they're from, not just like, okay, like where do you live, but where you're from, it's like your roots. It's Mm -hmm. you want to talk about like, Oh, Oh, what was like, tell me what life was like in wherever, like even if he didn't speak the language or if he had ever been there, if we knew somebody that had been there, you can have a, you start having a conversation and, and I don't know. That's so I was going to ask you. Well, and, and let me, let, like let me pose one more you. thing. Let me yeah. pose one more thing. You also have to know yourself. Like yeah. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, uh, you know, confident, uh, six foot big guy. And so because of that, you also have to be really aware about like, how can I make myself vulnerable when I ask this question? So yeah. like if someone's sitting down and I'm talking to them, I always try and sit lower or I'll crouch down. Yeah. Right. Get so there's some of that stuff that goes into it. So my point in saying that, your dad was in a vulnerable situation. He's the patient. Sure. Yes, yes. So he a- he's asking a question about somebody's childhood. And like, I know for a fact, I've asked questions that people that I like kind of get a hint that maybe they're international. And then they'll say to me, well, I'm from here. And I've almost upset them by asking that same oh, question. Mm, interesting. See what I mean? Yeah, Your dad okay. asked it, but he was in a vulnerable state. So he yeah. almost had like carte blanche. He could have asked yeah. almost anything. <laughs> right and so whether there was intentionality or not they they saw him as once again their shield was down he's not a threat and that's why nurses my mom was a nurse for 20 years has some of the most phenomenal stories ever because they're willing to talk to these people it's their patients it's their you know even though it's part of their job to probably make them feel like hey this hospital's great they're they're pouring into this person's life especially when they see what they're going through Right. Yeah. And it's fascinating for them. So I think that, that for anyone out there listening, that goes back to the vulnerability piece is that you have to make yourself a little bit vulnerable to, for that person to want to connect with you. Because if you're just the, you know, in sales, let, let's, let's kind of go to the sales route and, yes. and, and yep. maybe this yep. is a good let's segment, move it. but like yep. it is. in it sales, is. we have to be really conscious of this pendulum that, that I talk to all the people I coach and work with of yeah. empathy to expert. And so what that means is that like, we have to start with empathy. Imagine a pendulum. I try to paint a, you know, a picture for people to think about. Imagine a pendulum, uh, it's swinging side to side. Well, we swing to empathy first when we're meeting with anybody and we're trying to be empathetic and connect with them. We're speaking to them on a level of like, I'm here to be different than every other person you've ever met with. Because salespeople, remember, you have to pay the penance for all of the salespeople before you. So when you call and you say, hi, I'm Alex, and they go, oh, Alex is a salesperson, like the other 20 that I hung up on today, or the one I let talk to me last week that said he wasn't going to sell me and then he sold me, or the person that scammed me four years ago when I bought my car, unfortunately, you have to pay the penance of all that. 
So empathy, how do I connect with you on a level that's different than anybody else? How do I disrupt this loop going on in your head? How do I tell a story that resonates with you and speaks your narrative? And then after I've done that, guess what they're going to say? Oh, tell me about the, you know, the, the cybersecurity program that you have. Okay, now it's my chance to be the expert. Too many salespeople start with expert. Then they try to go empathetic. And it's like, you've already lost it. You came in as like, Hey, I'm here to solve every single program, program problem yeah, in your entire do life. Uh, you don't know my problems because you never <laughs> asked me. You see what I mean? So I yeah. think there's a key when it comes to sales for us to, to really buy into that vulnerability um, and break the script and disrupt the loop. And then at that point when they trust you, then now that you've uncovered like, oh, you're having problems with, with uh, spam emails, our program, it wipes those out. Like it really does. And it's going to help you. And here's the best. And here's what I always say after I've gone through the whole process, I always tell them no matter what, I always say, Alex, listen, I will tell you our program's awesome. It speaks for itself. I don't even have to talk about it most. What I typically tell people, and I think it's the most important thing for you to hear is that when you invest with our company, you get me, you get this relationship. Now I'll play with them. I'll say like, all right, I'm noticing your body language that maybe you're like, oh no, I'm not going with the company because of you. Well, then I'll call Jack and you can deal with Jack. Or I will call John, maybe you like him better. And I get a vibe for, have we connected? Have we vibed the way I thought we did? And they, ha, 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 yeah, no, you're good. I, this conversation has been great, Chris. It's the best one I've had all year. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we're it. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I think there's yeah. a little bit of necessity for us to really paint this picture of like, I mean, I, I, I work with salespeople. I coach them. I talk to them. I see what's going on. And a lot of them go in and they like, they disrupt and the person said, yeah, let's meet. Well, then they don't have the competence to back up that. Or they don't really understand what the person's gone through because they haven't done the research for that. So you could disrupt all day long, but if you don't have the competence to go in then and execute, I'm, oh, I'm great empathy guy. Great empathy. Empathy is a catchword right now. Everyone's seeing it on LinkedIn. Some people are being rude about it and being like, empathy doesn't help my KPIs. Like, I get that. <laughs> There's also a level of execution. There's also a level of being the expert in the room. And what I find is too many salespeople are leaning on one or the other, and that's why they're failing. Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard for like salespeople to um, like practice that first, like and not and 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 they flip it, they invert it so much. <laughs> I mean, we're fighting a hundred years of how sales has been taught. Okay. You right. know, we're yeah. fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fighting Wolf of Wall Street. Right. We're fighting like yeah. name all the, all the movies. I mean, like yeah. when's the last time you saw a salesperson that was actually empathetic on a movie or on social media or no, like we're, we're fighting. It's no different than like what the hip hop culture fights, right? Like every, every rapper, everyone's automatically like, Oh, they're going to have drugs and they're going to have girls and they're going to have money. And, and then you find one, you're like, wow, this is actually this person. They're actually talking about real life stuff and they invest their yeah. money in they're a venture capitalist on the side. And no one knew because like, it's e like, Alex, people are lazy. It's just easier to fit the norm. It's easier just yeah. to say you are this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? Totally. And I mean, like, aren't you more than the titles you have? Yeah, aren't you more than the companies you have? Isn't, wasn't your dad more than just the teacher at the junior college? Well, yeah, yes. he was. Yes. But unfortunately, here's what happens. We find our identity in the commission check. We find our identity in exceeding quota. We find our identity in our jobs. And because we find our identity in those, we go 150% into those. We don't go into vulnerability. We don't go into empathy. We don't go into who we really are because we don't find our identity in that. And that's the risk we run in America, period, is you start as a young kid, you're in college. They're telling you, you're going to go get this job. You're going to go get this job. And probably up to that point, you made $15 an hour and you were happy about that. And now you're getting ready to make a huge jump to making fifty dollars to $60,000 in some mythical world as an engineer. Maybe you make $100,000 right out of college. Here's the problem. You have never had really anything to hang your hat on as far as identity. Because think about it. And if I'm not going in the direction that you want to go, I'll shut up. But go ahead. No, go, 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 okay. go, go. So, like, you have a high school kid and they – I mean, let's go even further back. You have a, a, an elementary kid, and what do they want? Well, they want to please mom and dad, or they want to please whoever they look up to and they trust, okay? Then they go to middle school, and you start to get into sports. You start to get into who are my, really, my friends, right? And it's an awkward stage anyway, so you have to hang your hat on something that you do well, 
And then you're seeking, whoa, wait, wait a minute, Chris, hold on. Are you telling me middle schoolers seek community? Yes, the same way the 50-year-olds do. They all are seeking community. Think about it. It's just ingrained in us. We want other people to look out for us. We want to know we belong. Go read Culture Code. If you don't believe me, go yeah, read Culture yeah. Code, okay? Culture. Dan Coyle? Dan, Dan Coyle. Coyle, yeah. Yes, So. Dude. Yes. Anyways, I digress. But the, the point is, is that, so we go middle school, then we go high school. Well, did you know that you're 87% more likely to graduate with great grades if you're involved in an extracurricular activity? Well, why is that? Oh, because I have something more than just me that I'm accountable to. So then we go to college and you know, the college game, some people want to go to big colleges and they're okay and going massive loads of debt. I think our country's finally starting to come to this idea that like, we can be successful without that degree and you don't have to have it. And I'm not a proponent either way. I'm just saying, I think if we would teach kids skills, we'd be better off. My point is you go to college, you're looking for your identity and everybody is, and it's awesome in college. Cause you're like this awakening, the great awakening, right? Your dad would love me talking about this. Like the great awakening. Everyone's having this great awakening. You're like, who am I? Oh wait, at my old school, I was the basketball player or I was the cheerleader or I was, the the you know the choir person or whatever it was right well then you go to college and it's like you're alex smith okay well what does that mean i'm alex smith and you start to figure out a little bit of who you are and what you like and what you don't like and it's okay and people say you could be yourself well that's great then you go get a job and you show up to the job and you think you're going to change the entire world because unfortunately that's the propaganda out there is that that you're going to change the whole world and you get there and your boss says we need you to make 70 calls every day okay what else am i doing and then putting it in the uh, CRM. Okay, awesome. And how are we changing the world? Uh, I don't know who told you you're changing the world. We're paying you a paycheck, sir. <laughs> Wait a minute. My identity has just been rocked because my identity was founded on changing the world. And now I show up to a job that's paying my bills, which in a lot of regard is almost more important for most people. And then now we have this massive conflict in our brains and we don't know how to like piece together. Wait a minute. My job only sees me as... Did I make my 70 calls? Did I hit my KPIs? Did I meet my quota? But when I go home, my mom loves me for me. And we have this just massive dis dysfunctional conversation in our own head, the story in our head. And here's what I would say. We need to change that. We need to get to a place where our, I'm Chris Watson. If I work at XYZ or ABC or LMNOP, I'm still Chris Watson. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And like, don't even have me go down the path that, we, we hire people ineffectively because we don't even think about the culture to say, hey, Chris Watson, do you fit this culture? No. Hey, dude, we spend way, way too much time on the front of resumes and not enough time on the blank space in the back of the resumes. If we would spend more time on the back of the resumes, I would ask you high-level questions that I actually care whether you're going to belong here, whether you're going to fit here. And don't even get me started on too many people that were hiring in leadership positions don't know how to develop people. And remember, this all goes back to your original question. The, the question is, is like, why do people struggle with it? They struggle with it because the system's set up for them to struggle with it. The system's set up for them to only be, hey, employee number 23116, or better yet, employee meet your quota, not meet your quota. Employee make the, the, the company money, not make company money. So we perpetuate that for so long. Now, don't get me wrong. Our jobs give us purpose. Yes. They do. They give us purpose. And there's nothing wrong with that. But take my job away from me. Am I not still the same husband to my wife? Am I not still the same father to my kid? Am I not still the same guy that sucks at golf but is great at storytelling? Yes, I am. If we would, we would take more time to develop the skills and the, and the, the identity of who I am, you know, and not to make it super religious, but, like, I see myself as God sees me, right? And I have to because that's the true identity that I live by. Not everyone out there does. That's okay. But then start to really uncover who are you. This goes back to your very original question. People don't know their story. And because they don't know their story and they haven't dove deep into their story, it's easier just to tell themselves, I'm employee 22316 or I'm VP of whatever. Or I'm, and then I'm like, no wonder your identity is, is freaking rocked when you lose your job or you have a down month. Because for the last 10 years of your life, all you've seen yourself as is the employee of XYZ company. That is a lot of power that they're holding. And let's be really honest. They only affirm you. In fact, the relationship that you have with them is what I call performance-based love. Ooh, oof, performance-based. So the only time they love you is when you perform. And let's 
man, this isn't, this is, I'm not a it's therapist. Tough for some, some people to really come to terms with and some companies to maybe to come to terms with because companies have a lot of mission statements that would say otherwise, Chris. Oh, I mean, let's not even go to mission statements and, vision statements and all the yeah. statements that come up. Go with, ahead right? with but what I, you were saying. But I was just going to say, if you're a parent out there, you should think about, are you doing that to your kid? Do you only love your kid when they perform at a high level? Or do you love them when they fail? Do you love them when they're exploring? Do you love, because I think we are, we are almost creating this culture with social media that, hey, when you perform for me or you do something fun, viral, when you do something that I like, we love you. But then when you actually are holy yourself, you're true to yourself, you're storytelling, you're, you're differentiating, you're doing the things that really you want to do. Uh, yeah, go back to the other way. Go to the way that everyone else is doing. Remember, we really liked it when you did it this way. And that is the issue we have of some people are scared to actually look back into the stories because then they'll realize, oh, wait a minute. I've been living a sham for the last 20 years. This is actually who I am. And then there's, oh my goodness. Um, I know our, our, we are so much more than our work. I like to say, I, 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 I'm going to, you know, I, I give, give credit where it's due. Lori Rudiman, uh, she's an HR, um, you know, awesome rock star. She just put a post that says, your work is not your worth. Your work is not your worth. And she just repeated it like eight times and it's like 500 likes later. And it was just, it's a simple statement, but it charges people up because we are, we put so much of our effort and, and our worth into like our jobs. And I get it. We want to have purpose, but who we are is way more important than um, what we do. And the difference we make is so much more important than the freaking job titles others create. And I think I put that on LinkedIn. You know, it's just, I think, just to wrap this all up, because I could talk to you for a long, long time. But I think, <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think those perceptions about what sales is and what, it, what others think it is, um, and call it whatever you want, gang, but take those, those strip away, like you said in the beginning, those shields go down when we actually get real with ourselves and try to be really, really, really real with others in a way that's not just like, you know, say we are doing it, but like put intention behind it. And, and Chris gave you a lot of ways to ask questions and to tell your story and to kind of like look inside and give you growth. I, I, I just, I, I want to keep talking. Um, yeah, I, I, do, I'd like to say one again. more thing. But I think yeah, tell me, tell for, me what, for the what I might have so, missed. Yeah. If you're in sales and you maybe just started out or you've been in sales for a really long time yeah, and you need a reset, you need to like, just to kind of like, you know, tell me a way I can reset. I can kind of refocus. Cause I actually I like want to use storytelling. I just struggle with it. Yeah. Is I would just tell you you're, you're overthinking it because you're selling every place in your life, right? Yes. Like you sell with the relationship with your spouse or significant other, yes. you, you sell with your mechanic when you're getting yes. your car fixed. Yes. You, yes. So like some of these things that we do, we don't want to call them sales because by the way, it's, it's considered the second worst job in America. I think number yeah. one's like working for the IRS. Yeah. Um, but we naturally do these things and you don't call them sales. You like, you, you almost look at it like the skill that you have, like, man, you know, like, I don't know how it is, but they always throw in the extra package when I go to, or they always upgrade me when I go to the hotel or they always, and I'm like, yeah, because you sold yourself. You connect mm -hmm. with them on a level that they did something that they uncharacteristically don't do for everyone. Because you disrupted the loop because you connected with them in a way that like, oh, their name is Susie. You know, it's like that movie, um, Catch Me If You Can, right? Back in the day. The reason why he could play so many parts was because the common theme was he connected with them on a story level every single time. And so they believed him. He did his research, you know, he, he spoke like the doctor and he spoke like the pilot and he, he played the part, right? And so I think for anyone starting out, remember, don't overthink it. I know you're being told a lot. You've been hit with a fire hydrant at your job. And maybe for 20 years, you just gotten stale. Your story just isn't that good because you only look at it from one prism. And there's other perspectives you can look at your story from. And so I think it's really important for people to hear that, like, you know, we say stories and people think I'm talking about reading to my two-year-old. Well, I do sell my two-year-old on going to, I'm, my four-year-old on going to bed. And so I, I think, like, we've got we've to change in the world this word sell and selling. And like, even in the dictionary, it's to, it's to ask somebody to, to manipulate somebody into doing something they don't want to do. 
exchange exchange something for value for profit. Right. And so I'm just like, like we have to get to a place where we just realize they're a person, I'm a person, and we have life that we can connect on so that I can help you in a problem that you're not going to disclose to me until you trust me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what you and I did. You know, when we spoke the very first time is that we connected on a level of the times when we neither one had jobs. Uh, we connected on a level where our dads passed away and we've connected on a level where we're both like stories. And now I'm on your freaking podcast. And we only did that by a mutual trust of sharing our lives with each other. Now, if I, if I fast forward, this also means that at some point, if you say, I want to be a better storyteller that like, I can connect with you on a level to sell you my $500 course on being a master storyteller, which by the way, there is no such thing out there. Don't go look for it. I will do that for free for you because we all have great stories and everybody is a master storyteller. It's like potential because the one authentic story that no one else has is your own. So anyways, I just wanted to make sure that I put that out there that like whatever's and, and you know, find me on LinkedIn, find me somewhere. Look me up, reach out to me. I'll send you a book. We'll connect. You know, um, I, you know, part of this, what I want in the future, man, uh, is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll go is I just want every single person to realize that no matter the tragedy, no matter the success, no matter what you've gone through in your life, your story has something to offer other people. And so the very first story in the four stories is the story that we tell ourselves. And so some of you are telling yourself a story of I'm not good at my job or I don't have a way to share. I don't know how to connect or, well, all that's going to come to fruition because that's the story you're telling yourself. Tony Robbins says, where our focus goes, our energy flows. And what I say is the story that you tell are the actions you will take. I freaking love that. Chris, I normally ask people like, what is one thing that could only or would only happen to Chris Watson? I feel like I've heard like a bunch already. I don't even know if there's any one before yeah, I ask I'll, that I'll tell you one. You ready? Here you go. Here's okay, a good go ahead. one. Boom. This is go, a good one. Go I had this happen one time. Let's do it. Is <laughs> wearing, wearing a, you know, a nice suit. I one time had an hour conversation with a homeless guy and with the CEO of an organization all in the same day. <laughs> we'll just leave that. that would be a podcast and an epi- bonus episode maybe um chris i the last thing before we go man what you said anyone can do not just sales quote unquote people we all can do all human beings can do it because when th- that stuff happens you don't feel sold you just feel good in my opinion i don't know all right Chris, man, uh, I, I might have to, you know, do this again with you. I always love talking to you. Just thank you so much. And um, uh, we'll put all your information in the notes, all right, where people can find you. Cool. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. It's, uh, I look forward to part two at some point. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Done, man.